The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 185 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all the opinions expressed in the show on my own, that that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence privilege to as a result of my current employment. I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Well, folks, we brought back an encore episode, episode number 174, Empowering Women Who Are Experiencing Hope Outages, with the Vice President of Government and Public Affairs at Cox Communications, Neka Chiazor. Neka's great. I'm hopeful you had a chance to get caught up again uh, and get reconnected with Neka in this episode last week as we brought it back due to popular demand. She's phen- phenomenal. And, and, you know, she just talked about the impact on constant communications during the pandemic and the negative impact on psychological well-being and how we've had to add psychological safety to corporate business continuity plans. Neck and I, when we had that show, it was great. We, we talked a lot about discussing diversity and inclusion in cybersecurity, and we scratched the surface on neurodiversity. All this and much, much more on last week's Encore episode number 174 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you missed it, folks, don't sweat it. We're on playback. We're on at least 11 different playback mediums. You can find us everywhere. That was episode 174, Empowering Women Who Are Experiencing Hope Outages. That's on last week's Encore episode of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, folks, we got another great guest for you this week. We got the co-founder and chief revenue officer of Rumble, Chris Kirsch. Chris Kirsch is chief revenue officer and co-founder of Rumble with a background in product marketing and a technical mindset. He has helped formulate the go-to-market strategy at BGP, Encipher, Rapid7, and Veracode. In 2017, he earned the black badge for winning the Social Engineering Capture the Flag competition at DEF CON, the world's largest hacker conference. He has a passion for open source intelligence and is a volunteer advisor for the National Child Protection Task Force. It's my pleasure to introduce co-founder and chief revenue officer of Rumble, Chris Kirsch. Chris, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Look, you got such an interesting background. I really love to just, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to tonight's episode. Um, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of give give the audience a little bit of your journey and kind of how you got to Rumble. It'd be great to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. So I've been in InfoSec for uh, more, more than two decades by now. I started out back in Germany, uh, where I joined a small startup that was building kind of the first... Um, encryption for email for Microsoft Exchange at the time, you know, that was the client that's now known as Microsoft Outlook. And uh, eventually we sold that company to PGP. Um, that's how I moved to the States as well. And then I worked for Ensi for the hardware security module company, uh, joined Rapid7. And that's where I met HD because his Metasploit project had just been acquired by Rapid7. They were looking for somebody to partner with HD to commercialize that offering. So that was my, my job for the first four years. Ton of fun, really interesting target audience. You know, marketing to pen testers is, is hard. They're extremely technical. They're extremely critical, but they're also a really fun crowd. So I got to, you know, um, commission a, a nerdcore rap uh, by dual core for Metasploit. I, you know, was involved in all the, Metasploit uh, t-shirt competitions. I got to design the the next version of the Metasploit cow on the banner. And we all know the cow has magical powers on (laughs) Metasploit. (laughs) And then then I uh, moved into incident response. Um, 
in uh, in the Rapid7 world on a, on a product there. HD was focusing more on research, the project Sonar, where he uh, scanned the internet and uh, fingerprinted everything and then basically ran data science across that data set to figure out what the big risk exposures were for the world that we should all focus on. Uh, and then eventually we both left. HD um, went his own way to uh, do more security research, but uh, also do some pen testing. And I went to Veracode and built the uh, product marketing team over there. Uh, and then uh, we kind of reconnected. We, we didn't really lose touch, but we reconnected over this issue of, of asset inventory and built uh, Rumble around that. And we'll, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, but InfoSec is not only my day job, it's also my, my personal passion. So uh, I'm really interested in social engineering, for example. So I'm the, the black badge winner from a couple of years ago uh, at DEF CON for the social engineering capture the flag competition. Uh, I uh, you know, love participating in the Trace Labs competitions to, to find missing kids. Uh, I... Uh, love OSINT on that side. I've done a little bit of training for the NCPTF. That's the, the National Child Protection Task Force that is training law enforcement officers on uh, how to use OSINT to find missing kids and also online predators. So uh, I just really all around fun. And then I, I also research what I call my, uh, my heist movie skills. So it's all the things like, you know, pickpocketing. I gave a talk on that at layer eight and spent half a year just uh, learning that, you know, only to never use it again. <laughs> so are you like a bump and run guy? Like you got to like bump up and, you know, kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, cool, man. I, you know, I know, um, you know, the, the work that you're doing, you know, to help protect children online and the, and the trained law enforcement. I mean, that's super special work. So thank you for putting that commitment in there. Um, you know, having been on the other side of that as a law enforcement you know, official, it's always great to have folks that are un deeply understand how to leverage that data and, and help translate it in a way for folks to consume it and apply it uh, in those scenarios. So kudos to you for, for taking that on you know, in your free time. Appreciate it. Um, I, I wanted to, you know, look, with the products you've been involved with, whether, you know, with, you know, the scanning tools, um, you know, the vulnerability management space, the IR space. I mean, the thing that is consistently struck, I think we're struggling with, and I, and I've seen it time and time again, and I'm, you know, I know you're building business around it is asset inventory. And I, I, I'd love to get your take on like why we're still struggling with it when, you know, it's like the top CIA, it's the top, you know, control for CIS, it's cybersecurity framework, it's everywhere, but yet it's the one thing that no one seems to be able to really solve for. So why are we struggling with it? And, and, and what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, it's really interesting because it's not a new problem. It's been around for a while and people have been trying to solve it using different methods and so on. Um, and it's actually the, the, the problem that kind of HD and I wanted to address with Rumble. If you think about how asset inventory has been done in the past, you know, it, people have developed agents that sit on devices. Um, some solutions use authenticated scans where you need credentials to log onto each device. But when you zoom out and just think about those two approaches, they only really solve the problem for uh, your managed assets. Uh, because if you don't have uh, the credentials for a, a device, uh, like if it's unmanaged, you don't have credentials, you can't install an agent on it, it doesn't really work for that. But if you think about asset inventory as a problem, the majority of the problem is really your unmanaged devices that are on the network, that are legacy devices, um, shadow IT, um, just the random stuff that accumulates on a network over time. And those are unknown devices that are unmonitored, they're unpatched, they're lacking your security controls like EDR and group policies and all that stuff. So it's any, any asset inventory solution that tries to solve for the managed assets and ignore the unmanaged assets, I think it's just not doing the job. So when we also see some companies trying to use what I call uh, exhaust data. So exhaust data to me is, for example, if you have your vulnerability management solution and your EDR solution and maybe your MDM, and you're trying to build 
a, an asset inventory out of that data. You'll get part of the way there, but you're going to be missing a big chunk because um, these solutions weren't built for that purpose. And they're usually based on uh, either agents or authenticated scans. So they, you know, they just fundamentally can't solve the problem. Right. Yeah. They don't have the visibility in general, right? Yeah. So where do we go from here? Right. Because like, obviously that, you know, that folks are leveraging the, the same problems, the same techniques to do this. And they're obviously not detecting, you know, um, or not blocking the right devices getting out of the network. So they're not, you know, you get a, a tons of unmanaged devices that are on the network that people are being exposed to and their attack surface is just exploding, especially yeah. now. So what, what was the approach that you guys took at Rumble to solve for this? So we thought about this for, for a while and, uh, you know, HD finally said like, hey, why don't we do it as an unauthenticated scan? It seems like the right answer. Uh, you don't need credentials. You can scan anything that's on the network. It's pretty much the approach that he's taken with, uh, with his pen tests. If you have a pen test, you don't usually have credentials, at least to begin with. Uh, it's the approach he took with Project Sonar when he was scanning the internet and, and trying to fingerprint devices. And you know, going back even further with Metasploit, he had to fingerprint devices on the network so that he could send the right exploit to that device. So I thought, you know, if anybody can do that, uh, it's him. And so, but everybody kind of said like, oh, you know, you can't solve that problem with unauthenticated scans. You won't get enough data. And we try, you know, HD built a prototype and tried it out. And we actually are seeing a ton of data. Uh, most people are shocked at how much information we can get on their network uh, based on just having a scan engine somewhere on the network. And uh, when we compare that to some of the authenticated solutions and so on, we actually see pretty much the same thing. Um, so yeah, uh, unauthenticated is the path that we're going. and. Uh, that seems to work out really well, even if everybody thought it wasn't doable. So really what you're saying is the unauthenticated scan is giving you everything or just about everything that the authenticated scan is giving you plus everything else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. So I've been hearing, you know, there's been, a, this is a, a new budding kind of in, you know, segment in the market right now. And I'm hearing, you know, we've had other folks on talk about it and I've, you know, talked to other people in the industry around the problem, you know, and some folks are, you know, taking this concept of like, you know, asset intelligence and trying to stitch together based on existing data sets. Um, mm -hmm. But you're saying that's just not going to be enough if I, if I hear you. Yeah, I think it's, it's part of the solution. So, um, all of the other all of the other tools that you have out there, like your your CrowdStrike agent or your Tenable scan or something like that, right? They all have parts of the picture, but nobody's got the full picture, and uh, they're all missing parts. We actually saw that uh, we we recently introduced a feature where we're telling people which parts of their network they haven't scanned, but where we've seen indicators that machines are actually active on that on that network. Um, and two-thirds of companies were missing assets on network segments that they weren't scanning. And oftentimes uh, the uh, company, you know, for example, vulnerability scanners tend to be relatively expensive to license. And they're not even scanning the full RFC 1918 space. So they're, they're missing stuff. And there's entire segments of the network that are missing. Uh, the the way that we find out that there is something, even though we haven't scanned it yet, is uh, because we can kind of look around corners. So I'll give you a couple of examples. So for example, we can ask a device over NetBIOS and uh, ask it for its uh, for its uh, MAC address and and uh, sorry for its IP address. When you ask it for for the second time, the the response that comes back actually includes all of the, the secondary NICs that that device has. So now we know that that uh, particular host is multi-homed in several segments. Mm -hmm. And so we can, on the one hand, draw network segmentation uh, violation maps so, or, or network bridges 
bridge maps kind of thing, where we see, okay, um, you know, these devices bridge these two segments, maybe around a firewall that, you know, should be segmenting these two areas. But we can also tell you, hey, if you only scanned the primary IP address and we never scanned, you know, the, the two or three secondary IP addresses in your environment, we know that you're not scanning the full network. So you're probably missing part of the picture. Yeah, that's a really cool approach, man. So, hey, look, yeah. man, we got to take a quick break. Um, but, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram. It's searching at TF7 Radio. You'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's the number seven, folks. Radio.com. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, then we'll be right back with co-founder and chief revenue officer of Rumble, Chris Curse. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Sinet S-I-N-E-T Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with co-founder and chief revenue officer of Rumble, Chris Kirsch. Well, Chris, that first segment was pretty fun, man. And, and I love how you were diving into the challenges around asset inventory. Um, but I, I'd love to get your perspective on like, you know, where do you think, you know, the future of that space goes? Like, you know, the, you know you've got so many assets all over the place, people working remotely. Like how are you start to balance the scanning you need to do, you know, when the network is no longer yours as a company and you're now leveraging remote work? Um, we're, we're, how are you envisioning, you know, supporting, you know, that problem? Sure. Yeah. So the networks are becoming a lot more varied, right? You've got uh, on the on the uh, on-premise 
front, you've got a lot more IoT. Uh, we're scanning the uh, all the campuses for a big software company worldwide. And I think they had something like 3,000 IoT devices in one building. It's insane, right? So uh, just, just on that front. Then you've got some more people working from home. So you've got that whole aspect where we can scan through VPNs, but we're also looking to uh, ingest data from other sources. You, you were mentioning some of the asset intelligence platforms. I don't think that approach is enough, but I think it's really good augmentation, right? To, to just uh, get additional data. Once you've gone broad and captured everything, now go a little bit deeper. And uh, then you've got the cloud environments. So they're a whole other beast as well. So here you can do some active scanning, you can pull in stuff through APIs. And uh, then you have all sorts of other sensors on the network and, and systems on the network that you can, you can pull data from. So I don't think that there is one approach that you can take to asset inventory that will solve all of your problems because whatever type of approach you take is not gonna solve all of the, the directions. Um, so we see unauthenticated network scanning, it's a great start, but it probably doesn't stop there. So where do you think then, you know, what are the things that you are seeing on the network? And then how are you kind of helping, you know, peek around the corner a little bit? Yeah. So um, we, we look at um, all sorts of things and, you know, HD is, is very creative to apply some of the techniques that you use in pen tests to really see more than you should be seeing on the network. So for example, we've got, uh, I think it's 15 or 16 different ways of finding Mac addresses on the network, even if your, your scanner isn't on the local broadcast domain. So the way, you know, one way that pen testers do that is to just ask, you know, anytime they see a printer, they ask the printer for the ARP cache. The ARP cache has all the MAC addresses in them. So we then marry that up with a data set. But what's really interesting is what we're actually finding uh, in, in the customer network. So I often jump on calls, either, um, you know, calls where the customer scans something and they're still before the purchase decision, but also often I check in with them three months, six months after the purchase and, trying to figure out, hey, you know, tell me, like, how are you using this product? What have you found and so on? And it's super interesting because everybody's story is a little bit different. So we scan uh, all sorts of things like um, car manufacturing plants and, and windmills and sawmills. Like we're scanning uh, basically, you know, big, big buildings where trees go in on one end and uh, two by fours and, and uh, pulp comes out on the other end, right? Yeah. And so uh, that, that's all a little bit crazy. And uh, the, the types of things that people find is, for example, one uh, museum that we sold to, it's a big museum here in the US. And they sent us a support ticket and said like, hey, you know, like we usually have about 3,000, 5,000 devices. And uh, overnight it uh, blew up to uh, like over 60,000. I think there is a bug in your software. And, and we looked at that and uh, in the end, we figured out it was actually their ISP had misconfigured their, their networking gear and had given the visibility into their entire internal network, right? So uh, sometimes you find, you find these weird things. Same customer, first time he scanned, he found a, a backnet device that had been in the basement of the building since the building was built, he had no idea it was there. Right. And so it's these kind of weird things that you don't expect that we uh, can can find and sniff out. We had uh, one company that does a lot of DevOps and they saw that they had a ton of duplicate SSH keys because everybody was just cloning machines and cloning the SSH keys. So if one of those boxes gets popped, now you're compromising a lot of the uh, secure communication of the other boxes because they're all using the same key. So it's really, it's really quite interesting because we, we take an approach of just giving you full visibility, but then uh, also looking for stuff. Uh, utilities, uh, for example, are always very interested to have an easy way to find Huawei and ZTE devices because they're not allowed to have them. So that's, it's a little bit of a security thing, but also more of a compliance kind of question. Uh, anything to do with national infrastructure there. 
and uh, yeah, it, it's 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 wild. Like we see a lot of different stuff. It, it's amazing what people have or don't know they have on the network. Yeah. And, and I found it interesting that you know the company's first reaction was to blame you and your software, right? How many times does that happen in an IT environment where the, the folks say, "Hey, you just deploy this new security capability; it's security's technology's fault," right? Like that's like the mm. default. You know, are um, are you getting a lot of that because you're finding some really you know interesting things, or was that a kind of more like a one-off type deal? Um, it it happens now and then, right? And you know, no software is without flaws, and there's also misconfigurations that can happen and so on. So I, I can't say that you know, like every time we get a support ticket, it's it's uh, something like that. Uh, but it it uh, it does happen quite often. So like uh, w- one thing where people are usually very surprised is when we find um, so we do bake-offs often you know rumble versus a vulnerability scanner um, you know even though we're not a vulnerability scanner but they're trying to use that same data for asset inventory or rumble against a um, you know there's there's big vendors for CMDB systems that have really good databases but but they also have a discovery module so we're often baked off against the discovery module. And uh, in some cases, we find, you know, two and a half times as many devices. And that's a little bit crazy because they just, you know, they don't have credentials for all of the devices and they're not just not seeing those. I think for, for networking gear, it was like 10 times as many that we saw. And so that sometimes raises the question where uh, companies say like, do I really have all of this here? And And they have to dig in and we help them dig into the data and then, Oftentimes, it, it turns out that it is true, right? That they really have a lot more than they were expecting on the network. But that's good because now they can go and manage it. A lot of people go in and flag the things that are what they see as like IT managed devices and then try to flush out all the orphaned devices, either finding owners for them so that in the case of a security incident or a uh, just an IT uh, management incident, that they know who to turn to if they have a question about that device or if they can decommission that device. So what's that? I mean, some of these companies, man, they have like a lot of tech debt. You got old infrastructure, especially when you get like, you know, critical infrastructure, you know, some of that, you know, that was never meant to see the internet and now is on the internet and all that stuff. How are you helping companies? Like what's the process, maybe the timeline to some extent around, you've got these unmanaged devices, let's say it's in the realm of 50,000 and companies now have to go through the process of actually converting them to manage or kicking them off the network. Um, you know, how long are you seeing folks take that, go through that process to actually identify what they really are and, and what's that look like? I mean, how much pain is that for these companies? Um, so it, uh, it really depends. I mean, there's, there's two parts. There's getting the visibility and then actually taking the action to take something off the network. Um, we help them with the visibility part and, and the rest is really up to them. And that's more uh, you know, connected to the business and how quickly they can make decisions to decommission devices and those kind of things. In terms of getting that initial visibility, uh, it's really, you know, in, in many cases, it's quite simple. It really depends on how uh, complex your network is. So we uh, drop one, uh, what we call a Rumble Explorer on each uh, routable network. Um, anything that that machine that you drop that on can see over layer three, you can scan. And then uh, we give you pretty quick visibility, actually. Um, like if, if, you, if your listeners want to try it out, they can just go to rumble.run uh, you know, register, download an Explorer, scan their home network, they're going to see within 10 minutes what's on their network. And most people say like, hey, super fast. Um, it was pretty accurate. And, it was, and and there were a few devices that I didn't realize I still had on there, right? That's usually the things we hear about home networks. And then people kind of like bring it into work. At work, of course, it's a little bit more complex, right? You have at home, you usually have a pretty flat network, most people, unless you're a super uber tech geek and, and have firewalls on your home network, it's usually a pretty flat network. When you go into a company, it really depends on the maturity of the, uh, of the security team, of the networking team, and so on. Some networks are still completely flat. Some networks have uh, a lot of VLANs, then you want to put 
the explorer on a on a machine that has uh, trunk uh, has trunk access. Uh, so you scan from that vantage point. If you have a lot of segmentation, just you know put one explorer in each segment and scan from there. So it's I would say it's akin to a vulnerability scanner rollout in the sense that you need to have one engine in each uh, routable segment. Uh, and one of the things that actually a lot of our customers do is they just drop the, the Rumble Explorer on the same machines that they already have their vulnerability scanners on because that footprint works pretty well. It's the same requirements that you have. And our scanner is so light that it, it you know, doesn't really require its own machine. Andy, I'm no longer hearing you. Are you still there? I'm here, brother. Sorry about that. Are you are you no longer like dealing with the VM space, or are you hearing the um, you know Are you getting it from you know the, the IT side of the house? Like, who's kind of coming to you saying, "I want to solve this problem"? Is it really like I want to find vulns in unmanaged systems? Um, like, who who's your buyer right now? Like, who's who's yeah. paying attention? It's really three groups in an organization. Uh, I would say the biggest one is uh, the vulnerability management team. They're not really looking to replace the vulnerability management scanners, but they're looking for just better overall visibility to improve network hygiene. Uh, and oftentimes the, the story we hear from them is, hey, you know, I'm responsible for security here and I'm getting this spreadsheet from IT and it's outdated and it's incomplete. But, uh, and I, I don't really know what I'm protecting here. I need a better way to get a view of the network. And so... Rumble is a really good fit for them because um, they don't need to ask for credentials. They don't need to ask for uh, agents on every device. They just you know, put it out there, start scanning, and they get visibility pretty quick. Second group that we sell to is the incident response team. And what they typically do is uh, usually in conjunction with the vulnerability management team. Sometimes it's a, they, they just buy on their own, but they would... Uh, scan the entire network, and then each scan they just pump into their SIM. And uh, when they have an incident, and you know they they see that a certain IP address reached out to a command and control server, and they think that device is a, is uh, compromised. Now they can get number one, they get the context on that device. You know they don't just see it's a you know the the Vaughn scanner might tell them oh it's a Linux two six eighteen or something like that. And it's like, oh, okay, but, but what does that really uh, tell me? But with Rumble, you'd be able to see, oh, it's a Google Nest camera that's running uh, this Android uh, operating system, and it's uh, connected to this port on the switch, and it's got this Mac address. So you, now, if you want to try and find the device and do forensics on it, you know exactly where to look. And then also they look at the history of that device. They look for like, okay, was it in a different network segment what, before? Like, how did it move around? Did it have new uh, ports open or, or close or anything change on that device that I should know about? So that's the buyer number two, the IR team. And the third one is really the CMDB team uh, on the IT side, where they're saying, hey, we're, we're, you know, we've got some discovery. It's not great. We're trying to get all of these sources in, but we're missing stuff. Our Vaughn scanner and our EDR scanner can't, uh, our EDR solution can't agree on what's on the network. We really need something better. And so they scan the network, they pump all of that data into the um, into their CMDB, and then they just have, have better visibility. And in some cases, it's actually all three of these groups coming together and leveraging the same the same installation. Yes, super cool. So I I feel like, you know, it sounds like with the ease of implementation and the way you're describing it and the way you're, you know, you're solving the problem that there's a bunch of other use cases outside of just kind of enterprise security protection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, have you guys started to explore, you know, helping folks with M&A or third party um, vendor assessments or... Mm -hmm underwriting cyber insurance. I feel like there's so many different ways you could, you could tackle. Where, where, where's your head at in terms of some of those areas? Yeah, no, uh, all, of, all of these. So we have one customer who's a Fortune 5 company who uh, scan all of their M&A targets. So that's an interesting uh, use case. We have a ton of consultants, both on just a regular security assessment, kind of I'm, I'm giving you advice on how to structure your network, you know, 
uh, segmentation violations, um, outdated, you know, uh, uh, outdated uh, protocols. So you know, finding machines that have TLS uh, version one, SMB version one. You know, those are kind of like easy things to to take care of on the network. Uh, we have a lot of pen testers that like Rumble, who uh, you know follow HD around uh, kind of whatever project he does. And uh, so we get, have a lot of, <laughs> of inbounds from those guys. And what they love is that the, the scan engine, the, the Rumble Explorer, is a really small, it's a single executable, and it runs from anything from a Raspberry Pi to a mainframe. So uh, what they often do is they would uh, pop a video camera or something like an IP camera or some device that's vulnerable install the, the Rumble scanner on there and then scan the network from there. And then they get really good visibility into what's there, um, what allows them to pivot from one network into another network and so on. So um, yeah, and it's super fast and it doesn't really trigger any, any signatures because it's just very clean network traffic. We don't, you know, if you if you look at a Vaughn scanner or Nmap or something, it often sends malformed IP packets or security probes to get a certain type of information out of the end device. We don't do any of that because we want to be really clean in the way we scan, um, also so that we don't knock any devices over. And so the the pen testers love that because their scans don't get flagged as much because it doesn't match your signature. Of course, if you hit a honeypot and you're connecting to a port, of course, it's going to light up, right? Because you're, you know, you're connecting to that. There is not a lot of ways around that. But uh, otherwise, it's, uh, it's a pretty neat tool for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. So, so before we go to a break, I want to ask you. So, so now you know you've deployed Rumble. You've got, you know, you found uh, tens of thousands of unmanaged systems. You know, and you go to you know, you're supporting the conversation around, you know, to executive leadership around like, you know, this is a problem, right? Like, how are you helping the CIOs, you know, and the CISOs converting this conversation to get the business context around the, 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 the severity of the challenge and to help them drive like the decision-making to say like, we got to clean this up. Like, how are you guys helping drive that conversation? Yeah. So we, we just help, uh, uh, identify the scale of the problem and be very specific. Um, actually, most of the time we we do sell to the practitioners, not so much the uh, the um, the C level, right? Yeah. So we want to do a really good job uh, getting the getting the job done for the practitioners and giving them the right data. And you know, so far we haven't had to sell up to the C level. We often have the CISOs on the call; uh, they get it. That they need to know what they're protecting, um, and so it's it's a pretty easy conversation with them. The rest of the organization doesn't really get all that involved in the conversation. Um, I think um, understanding that you need an owner for a device, like somebody responsible and accountable for a device, I think that's a very easy conversation internally to have, and uh, so that's not really been an issue for us. That's good. I love it. All right, folks, we're going to take another short break to hear from our sponsor. Don't go away. You'll be right back with more from co-founder and chief revenue officer of Rumble, Chris Kirsch. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. 
As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with co-founder and chief revenue officer of Rumble, Chris Kirsch. Well, Chris, you know, at the break, it, it dawned on me that, you know, you have, obviously you have an impressive background, but you have a really cool blend of skills. Not a lot of folks are uh, technical, also run, you know, revenue for the company, which means you got to have a sales background, interpersonal skills, marketing, branding, you know, the whole thing. And oh, by the way, you're, you know, you're a co-founder of a startup, so you're an entrepreneur, and that's a whole different deal too. Right. So I would love to just give, you know, your take or your advice for, for folks, um, you know, who are, uh, you know, kind of entrepreneurs that are just starting up companies um, and give your, your perspective on that journey. Sure. Yeah. I'd be happy to. Um, the, the biggest challenge I see for a lot of uh, startups, especially ones that are coming out of a technical, out of the technical side is they're starting out with the technology and then they're trying to find an application for that. And that's a really uh, difficult and risky way to start a startup. Um, the, the path that I would always go is uh, interview, you know, like, let's say you have a, an idea, you have a technical idea, and let's say you start out with that because that's your center of gravity and you, you think that's gonna work out. Make sure that first of all, you're clear about who are you going to sell this to? What size company? What uh, type of company? Any industry? Are you gonna? Uh, who in that company are you going to sell it to? And then start interviewing those people and go really deep and ask them about like, hey, you know, how big a problem is this and that? Um, how would you solve that? How are you solving it today? Uh, if you had something that solved it this way, would that work for you and so on? And but then also, you know, people are nice and they're going to tell you. Oh yeah, that would be nice. You know, that would be good to have. Don't take that as like you should build this product. You should ask them like how how would that impact your life? How often would you log into that? How much money would you spend on that? So you really get to uh, their answer of like how important would it be? You know, or just ask them, hey, what are your top three priorities for next year? If your thing isn't on there, then you may want to build something different. Right. Yeah. So having having that focus and building your product for that persona. Once you know who the persona is, now build the product and focus on solving their problems. And if you do that well, and you have differentiation in the market, meaning it's, you know, it's not that easy to copy and you, you do it either technically in a different way or you have better customer service or you have a better user interface or what, whatever the thing is that differentiates you. And if that is relevant to the buyer persona, you're going to have a business. It, it almost seems like you know, a 
pen tester picking their strategy to go hack into something, right? Like mm -hmm. the research that you would do to go uh, after an adversary or a target um, is actually pretty similar in the thought process of um, maybe starting a company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also like, and especially since we're on a security podcast and, and not a just a general business podcast. If you think about a lot of the security products that are out there, a lot of pen testers kind of, you know, are seeing how they get into companies and then try to create something to protect against that. And that's fine. That there is a lot of people who are like uh, X uh, NSA or X uh, unit 8200 and so on. The, the challenge I see with a lot of the solutions that are coming to market is they're super specific about one very tiny problem that yes, can get an organization breached, but they're focusing on something that only, you know, the Department of Defense and, you know, some giant corporations would care about. So when you're thinking about building a company, think about, you know, how, how many people really have that problem? Is it something that's only for like the 1% of companies or is it a broad problem, problem that we are solving? Because otherwise you're really limiting your market and your potential. And so I'll, I'll bring it back to Rumble, right? Asset inventory, we're having the same discussions with small companies that are mom and pop shops as we're having with like Fortune 50 companies. They all don't know what's on the network. The, they have different questions and different uh, needs for scale and those kind of things. But the fundamental problem is the same. Yeah, that's great advice. And I, and I love that you're tackling a problem that all size businesses can uh, solve for and probably afford. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to security companies and are solely focused on large financial or Fortune 50 because that's who has the money to spend. And you know, I think you're in a really cool space where you've got the ability to target both and make it affordable for both, which I think does a really great service for kind of shrinking the internet's attack surface in general, right? Like, yeah, which is really, yeah. really, really, really cool. Um, and and also the the smaller companies, you know, they they don't have the budget. Um, so one thing we agreed on HD and me was, you know we have a free tier up to 256 assets. You can use that on your home network. You can use that in commercially in your company. Uh, it's completely free. We don't charge you for, and also we don't charge you for security features just to secure our product. So SAML integration and multi-factor authentication and all of that stuff, they're like, that's included in the lowest tier, right? Even in the free edition, because we don't think that that, you should have to pay extra to, to have security in your product. Um, so, yeah. That's really cool, dude. So, you know, it occurred to me too that, you know, I, and I get this question a lot, like, how do I break into cybersecurity? What, mm -hmm. What's, you know, book should I read? What, um, you know, hopefully I listen to this podcast, right? <laughs> the show. Uh, but, you know, what search should I go get? And I feel like people are getting the wrong, you know, kind of advice and they're just kind of, I, to some extent, I feel like they waste their time. But you know, you know, what would be the advice you'd give somebody to kind of you know, come in into the game? Um, probably a little more on the technical track. Like, where, how would you advise people to get started? Yeah. So I've, I have, you know, conversations now and then with people who say like, "Hey, I'd like to get into into the industry, and how do I do that?" And I try to get back to why they're trying to do that, because um, if I, for example, I, I talked to one lady who said, hey, I'm in accounting right now. I'm not enjoying accounting. Would you recommend I go into cybersecurity? And so you know, I, I asked her a little bit like, hey, you know, what do you not like about accounting? What do you like about cybersecurity? And, and so on. And it turned out that the only reason she was thinking about getting into InfoSec was that uh, it, it seemed like there is a lot of money there. And um, it seemed like a secure job. But I think if you, and this is true for any job, right? If you're just doing it as a job to make money, I think you're, you're always going to have a hard time because you're not going to enjoy the learning. You're not going to enjoy the day-to-day. -day. And so what I would advise people, first of all, you have to 
do something that you enjoy. Of course, it also needs to make you money, uh, but try to pick something that you enjoy because you're going to be doing this job for probably quite a long time and you're going to be learning stuff about that job for quite a long time. If you don't enjoy it doing that, you're going to be miserable and you're never going to be really good at it. So that's uh, advice number one. And then uh, with InfoSec, it's, you know, it's relatively easy. If, if, you, if you want to become a brain surgeon or a, um, you know, you can't train at home. With InfoSec, you can download pretty much any tool for free or as a trial and all of these things. And you can, you can learn a ton from home. Uh, online courses are uh, either free or cheap. Of course, there are some expensive ones, but you can take it quite far just by tinkering and so on. Uh, and, and, and trying stuff out and learning. And the best people that I see in the industry, uh, they might not even have any certs, right? I think the certs are helpful if you're trying to break into your first job and you don't have any connections. Then the cert is kind of like the minimum bar. Uh, but uh, that gets you the interview, but then you still need to convince people in the interview that they should hire you. And that's going to be other things, it's going to be, you know, how you show up and the attitude that you bring and how coachable you are and those kind of things. So, yeah, I'm rambling a little bit, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, I love you, the soft skills piece, right? I mean, yeah. that's the part that, yeah. you know, I mean, I look at, you know, thousands of resumes. Everybody's smart. Everyone's got a cert. You know, it's like, yeah. what separates you from the pack, you know, if you don't have a personal relationship with the hiring manager, right? And, and I think those things that, um, you know, things like you've mentioned in your background, right? In terms of why well, I won capture, I won this at DEF CON and I do this and I do that. It's, you know, the things that separate you outside of the work. What I also find interesting, you know, too, is that, you know, the lady you're having the finance accounting conversation with is like, there's still a place for every skill set in the industry of cybersecurity, right? Every startup needs an accountant, right? Every cybersecurity startup needs an accountant. Every cybersecurity company needs a lawyer. Right. Like, so there's something for everybody in the industry of cyber, which I think is so cool. And, you know, hopefully the people that are making that leap are coming to it because they, they're interested in the mission and what we're trying to do. And it's the only interesting, you know, we're the only IT subsector that fights an adversary. Right. So yeah. hopefully people are gravitating towards some of that cops and robbers stuff that goes on um, and, and not just the cash, but. So Chris, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I'm certainly going to go to rumble.run and uh, check out my home network and see uh, what, what, awesome, I, yeah. what I think I have and don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it should only take you five or 10 minutes and uh, you know, uh, send me an email what you find because uh, chances are you're going to be surprised about something you find on that network. Well, if I find something that I don't know is not here, I'm not telling anybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. All right, folks, it's time for us to bounce up on out of here. But before I go, I want to remind our listeners to get a recap of tonight's show. Go to the Cybersecurity Hub and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.